0: This is episode number sixteen with Olympic figure skating coach Corey Aide. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. Today I have a special episode that I know will be a game changer for you. When I bring podcast guests on, I know they are amazing individuals, and I know they have a lot of value to offer. Otherwise, I wouldn't bring them on. But Corey exceeded my expectations. Her coaching philosophies are like nothing I've ever heard or seen before. You're going to learn about how to shift goal setting from the outcome to the process. You're going to learn about how you can actually increase your tolerance threshold in different areas of your life to help you overcome your weaknesses and your fears. While you're listening, take a screenshot of this episode and tag me and Corey on Instagram to let us know you're listening and let us know about your favorite part. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, go ahead and click the subscribe button so you can get notified every time a new episode is released. I'm telling you guys, this episode is jam-packed with actionable things that you can do in your life to chase down your best self. If you're listening to this at home, take out a pencil and a paper or flip to the notes section on your phone. If you're listening listening to this in your car, I am telling you, you're going to want to go back home and listen again and take some notes. But for now, it's time. It's time to work on being our best self today with Olympic figure skating coach, Corey A. What's up, everybody? And welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I am absolutely fired up for the episode that you guys are about to listen to. I know it's going to be jam-packed with value. We just spent about 30, 45 minutes Going through some things uh, before we even got on camera, and I could just—I just knew how much value she was going to provide, and I knew she was going to exceed my expectations before we even got in here. Um, but this woman beside me, his name is Corey Aide. If you don't know her already, you should start to follow her. You should start to. Uh, see the different things that she puts out. And you start start to be witness to the things that she's creating because she makes an unbelievable impact with everybody that she works with. She's an amazing woman, amazing mom. And for her profession, she's an amazing figure skating coach. She's brought some people to the Olympics, um, which is an amazing accolade in and of itself. But to be honest with you, the thing that really drew me to her and the reason that she's on this show today is because of her holistic approach to coaching. She believes in such the importance of the mental and emotional aspect, uh, of competing in, in sports and figure skating in particular. And I know that the philosophies that she uses on a, on a day to day basis are, are changing lives. They're, they're making these figure skaters so much better athletes, even, even outside of the physical part of it. So that's what I'm really excited to really get into today. But before we even get into the different coaching philosophies that you have, I want to start and kind of give everyone a brief background on your story and about how you got into figure skating coaching because I know that you were a doctor or working to be a doctor um, in the past and then you kind of had this realization moment that maybe this isn't the way that I want to impact people or impact the most people in the way that I specifically want to in their lives. So I kind of want to start, start with uh, you going through that realization moment and how you got more into figure skating coaching.
1: Yeah, sounds good. Um, so I studied forensic skeletal biology in college. So um, I thought for sure I was going to just go that scientific route. I was really interested in, in science and um, laboratory work and also patient care. So I've always had sort of an interest in helping people. And forensics was fascinating because it was problem-solving. Uh, And so I thought, I'll just use my scientific brain to sort of solve problems. But what I realized is you can't really be proactive in that field at all. You know, you're constantly being reactive. You're constantly responding to something that's already happened. So it became old really fast. Um, Sort of like your story of just realizing early on, my uh, epiphany came in the middle of an autopsy, which that's like a whole nother podcast we could talk (laughs) about. But, uh, But yeah, it was in the middle of an autopsy. And I realized, yeah, this is not for me. Uh, people in this field are just sort of jaded, and I want to affect some change. So I came back to Chicago and started coaching um, a little bit, thinking that that was going to be a way to make a little bit of money, take some of my pre-med prerequisites um, that I hadn't taken during my undergrad, and I didn't think for a second that figure skating was going to be my career path, um, but it's like a vortex. It just sucked me in, and I haven't gotten out since, and I'm really <laughs> thankful because I've had... Uh, the opportunity to meet some amazing people and really grow personally uh, through my coaching. So what happened, I think, was I just met a a group of children between the ages of seven and nine whose families trusted me, believed in me, um, knew that I was putting their kids' interests ahead of my own ego, uh, which is one of my coaching philosophies for sure. And um, I don't know. It just I felt like the Pied Piper, yeah. you know, for about 10 years I just had these kids like just believing everything that I was uh all about and the families buying into it and I think um it made me such a good version of myself because yeah. I knew that not only was I in charge of uh, my own growth as a 20-something year old out of college but now I had young people's lives that I was uh, at least partially um you know, responsible for shaping. And I took that very, very seriously from the very beginning. Um, I think I decided that if I was going to be a coach, that I wanted to be a, uh, it, I wanted it to be a career for myself. I didn't want it to ever feel like a job. And what that meant to me was that I needed to get educated in coaching, um, uh, which is, not super common in skating. I think, uh, quite often people are coaching just from what they know. It's sort of pedagogy and mm-hmm. they, they do what they were taught. And I've really tried to change the culture of figure skating and say to people, let's admit what we don't know. You know, let's put our egos aside and let's learn ahead of our, our athletes, Uh, and I took that very seriously because I was not a high, high level competitor. Mm -hmm. Um, so I felt like I was already at a deficiency when I started coaching. Um, and I think there's a little bit of that feeling of like, I'm a fraud. You know, I think a lot of people feel that in their professional lives. Like, what business do I have doing this job? Um, but the way to fill in the gaps in that situation is just to go out and be proactive about your education. You know, uh, surround yourself with people who you know have more experience than you, are are smarter than you in some ways, are more talented than you in some ways. And so very early on, I sort of equated myself to, um, probably with that medical reference, equated myself to like a general practitioner. You know, I want to be seen as your head coach. I want to be seen as the person who is overseeing your wellness, right? Mm -hmm. If you're my athlete, I want to be in charge of making sure that you're moving forward in life and you're healthy. But if you come to me with... A skin problem that I know a dermatologist. If you come to me, you know, with a heart problem, I know a cardiologist. Right. So I'm pulling in people who have specialties that I knew uh, at that point could enhance what I was able to do. And I think that that allowing myself to realize where my strengths lie and where my weaknesses lie. Um, gave me the opportunity to surround myself with great people who taught me so much along the way. Yeah. And um, I'm just continuing to pay it forward in the coaching community. I'm excited to do that here in Nashville.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know? I, want, I want to stick there because I think that a lot of everybody has those self-doubt, self-limiting beliefs, right? And you know, coming from a place of being a high and competitive figure skater, of course, you're going to have that sort of thing. But I think it's really a huge action step for people to be able to realize that Everybody's going to have that, but that doesn't mean that you should stop or should not pursue whatever that thing is, but get yourself around people who know more and be persistent, be, um, consistently trying to learn yourself and self-educate yourself towards whatever it is that thing that you have self-doubt or limiting belief towards. So I think that's a huge right. thing that other people are going can be able to implement into their lives.
1: Right. I, I think, uh, you know, one of the influential books that I read was Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In. I don't know I mean, if you know of it, but it's that. it's basically, I mean, the title says it all, right? Lean in, like take a seat at the table, get up close, figure out what the discussion's about, you know, have have a role in it, be active. Um, I think it's really easy to sit back and not be a part of the discussion. And when I say that metaphorically, obviously, because what I mean is, you know, the only, the people that succeed are the people that get involved, the people Mm. that get in it, the people that face their, their self-doubts, the people that, you know, accept where their limitations are. And, um, they're going to be haters along the way. I can't tell you how many people told my athletes that because I wasn't a high, high level competitor that I, I therefore couldn't be a high level coach, you know, and tried to pull my skaters away from me and tried to put, you know, plant doubts in my skaters, parents, minds. And it was like, no, you know what? I, I know what I'm doing. In fact, because of those deficiencies, I was doubly motivated to go out and, and, and get an education. Mm-hmm. It's unheard of in the sport of figure skating in our country to spend as much time or money as I spent educating myself. I calculated that I have over a hundred thousand yeah. dollars in my own coaching education. That's crazy. It's it's
0: why do you think that, why do you think that you thought you were or where did you get the confidence that it was going to be worth spending that much money? It didn't matter. Okay.
1: It's not about the payoff. It's about facing myself in the mirror every day and being able to say, I'm equipped for this job. I'm prepared for this job. I feel like I have integrity when I do this job. I'm doing right by my clients. I'm taking their money and I'm taking their children's dreams and their lives into my hands I need to make sure that I'm the best version of myself I can be in order to even call myself a coach. Mm. How dare I call myself a coach if I don't know that I'm more equipped than anybody else in the country to call myself a coach? Yeah. So it, it wasn't about the payoff. It, it wasn't about like there's a goal in mind when I spend this money. It was about I need to be in the moment and be the best version I kind can be. Kind of like
0: building your own self-confidence up as much as you could so that you felt you were worthy to do the certain things yeah. that you were going go to do.
1: Confidence, education, knowledge. I mean, you know, it's also in athletics, like you have the risk of injury when you're working with athletes, you have the risk of burnout. There's so many factors that, that play into it. I wanted to know everything I could know about biomechanics. I wanted to know everything I could know about sports psychology. I wanted to understand, you know... Off ice, the off ice part of it, the the personal training part. I did all my own dry land training for ten years. Like I needed to know from the best, so I sought it out.
0: Gotcha, that's awesome. Um, so lit or being in the kind of space that you are, you're probably presented with a lot of kids who are super talented and want to get to the highest level of skating. And so for a lot of these kids, success kind of comes easy to them. And when things they're not haven't been exposed to so many things that haven't necessarily come easy to them and they've been successful with right away. So what I want to ask you is how do you, you know, approach kids who are so used to being successful and how do you coach them out of like when they actually have something that they're faced with that they can't just be successful with right away? How do you coach them through a situation like that?
1: Sure. Uh, that's a really good question. So I think (laughs) I've learned this over time, but I think when you're presented with a young athlete that has an extreme amount of talent, I think that it's a a coach's challenge to try to find a way to get that child to actually not be successful as fast, mm-hmm. right? So, because what's going to happen is ultimately their the skill set is going to catch up with their talent and they're going to struggle. And so, I tell parents all the time, if your athlete, if it's too easy for your athlete too early on, it will be very tough later. So, sometimes when I hold an athlete to a certain standard with a certain element, It's because I don't want them to feel immediate success. I don't want them to feel like they're moving forward so fast that they're not getting the tools to deal with the adversity that they're going to need to deal with when they're 13, you know, when the the tricks get harder. So um, I think that's part of it is trying to find those challenges. And whether that's, you know, in, in our sport, especially whether that's just taking them out of their comfort zone and putting them into a situation where they're not quite as good at what they're doing. So that could mean like, okay, you're going to have to explore the choreography part of this because you're not that good at it or it's not comfortable for you. It's not natural for you. And that's where your measure of success is going to come from. Um, I think that that's, I mean, that's what we all should do in our lives anyway, right? Yeah. I had a really great opportunity to teach an adult class. Actually, I sought out the opportunity to teach an adult class when I first started coaching because I thought to myself, you know, these people need answers, Like, you can't just tell an adult, oh, just do it again and figure it out. They're like, oh, no, no. My class was filled with two IP attorneys, right? So these are people that write patents. So they have down to the nut and bolt, you know, exact details. I had two dentists. um, I had a pilot and I had somebody that was uh, in the um, armed forces. So I had people that were thinkers in my class and it made me so accountable as a coach But at the same time, I thought, wow, here are these, this group of like 12 adults, and they can't skate at all. Mm -hmm. And they're coming every single Wednesday night, and they're putting themselves in a very uh, vulnerable position, right? They're coming to this adult class. Nobody can move. They're not very good, but they're smiling the whole time. And when they walk out of this room, they're doctors, they're lawyers, they're professors, they're, you know, engineers. How awesome that they would find something in their lives as adults that that made them vulnerable that yeah. they had to challenge themselves for. And it just made me think what a great opportunity to be in front of people who aren't afraid to fail.
0: Yeah. Well, and that probably helps them in their actual professions as well, because they do something and then realize like, Oh, failure is not that bad. Um, you know, the worst case scenario isn't as bad as I thought it might be. So in their professional one things, when risky situations present themselves, they can actually take that leap of faith of doing it. Yeah. Um, manage
1: it, manage yeah. the discomfort. Right? right. I like to call it Discomfort. Failure is real. We just talked about yeah, that. Failure did. is real. There is such thing as failure. Yeah. I don't want anybody to think that I don't believe in failure. It's real. But discomfort is what we feel most of the time. Mm-hmm. We don't feel true failure. Yeah. We really feel discomfort.
0: For sure. For sure. Um, so let's kind of let's go towards taking taking risks a little bit. Um, you know, you back at you at when you were going to be a doctor or studying to be a doctor, uh, you took this risk to um, take a leap of faith to be, a, to be a figure skating coach. How do you kind of promote taking on risks as a coach to the people that you are coaching?
1: Yeah, um, good question. So I'm lucky that I come from a, a family of artists, and they're all about finding your passion. Mm. And so risk-taking is not scary for us okay. in my family. Um, and I think that that's one thing that I've – been able to help other people in my life sort of feel a little bit of is, hey, what's the worst thing that could happen? Like you've got to get out there and you've got to see what the opportunities are before you have any sense of how big the risk is. And obviously we know that old cliche, like the bigger the risk, the bigger the reward, but it's so true. Mm -hmm. If you stay in your comfort zone, If you keep doing what you're doing in the same method in which you're doing it, you can't really feel what your potential is.
0: Yeah, I want to go back to something you just said. I think like go into it before you know how big of the risk is. Because I think a lot of people, when they think of an idea or they think of something that they want to do or a goal they want to go after, immediately they have all this energy of like, yes, I'm going to go do it. And then they kind of take some time to sit down, break it down and figure out all these reasons why they shouldn't do it. And then prevent themselves from doing it. So I think that's huge and probably something that a lot of people don't maybe take that leap of faith originally. Um,
1: yeah, it's super easy to talk yourself out of oh, anything sure. you want to talk yourself out of. I mean, you you know, you can talk yourself out of getting up in the morning if, you know, you
0: realize <laughs> that the, risk of, people the risk of
1: getting up is that I have to actually be active and do something. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have a funny exercise that I also do in my mental training class with my athletes where I'll say, you know, the, the people that are the most successful will just make a list for themselves right? For, for the next day. Sit down before you go to bed, make a list for yourself. Here's my list. These are the things I want to get done tomorrow. Start with get up in the morning. Mm. Next, brush your teeth. Next, all these arbitrary things that you know you're going to do anyway, because the more lines you get to draw through those, you know, that list, the more things you check off the list, the more successful you feel.
0: Oh, yeah. 100%. So
1: what's the difference between getting up in the morning, you know, and starting a new job? It's just another action that you're that you're taking. It's another thing to check off your list. So I think if we don't look at, you know, this sort of one thing is a bigger risk than another thing. No, I risk, you know, crossing the street every day. I risk tripping over the carpet. Who cares? Like it's no no different than going for a jump you've never gone for on the ice or, you know, or extending your hand and meeting a stranger, someone you've never met before. Like, mm-hmm. take that risk because you just don't know what's on the end of that opportunity. Yeah,
0: I, I love that practice or that – the. Yeah, the thing that you talked about in terms of writing everything down that you're going to do and check it off the list. I don't probably do it maybe as to an extreme, but like I have that to-do list right there and I write it down the night before. And yeah. the first few, I know I'm going to do them no matter what because I've implemented them as a routine and stuck with it as a habit for so long. But I like writing it down just so I can check it That's off when right. I've done it. And I think one thing, it, it gives you a, a sense of or success, but it get also wa- leaves you wanting more and, and more of those um, experiences of success. Mm-hmm. So you want, it's like, what else can I do that I could check off? It's like write something down and then you can check it off. And the more and more that you check something off that you think you're going to do beforehand, the more and more self-confidence you build on yourself that you're going to show up for whatever it is that you say you're going to do. Right. So I think that's an awesome practice that you do and that a lot of people can be able to implement because it sounds so simple. Like wake up in the morning, wake yeah. up at the time my alarm actually says yeah. I'm going to get yeah. up. So that's pretty cool.
1: And instantly you feel a, a bigger sense of you know, success because I did, look, I did these 10 things. Even if they're 10 things you did yesterday, who cares? Yeah. But then once you start, like you said, once you start to put it into routine and into practice, put on your list, hey, meet somebody new today, right? Because you don't know what that opportunity could lead to. Mm -hmm. So I think that if you put some things that you maybe you see as risky on your list of everyday things to do, then you start to sort of expand your vocabulary of what your potential is.
0: Yeah, so something we talked about beforehand that I want to get into is is goal setting and how you talked about the difference between um, setting goals based on the outcome or setting goals based on the process. So I want to kind of get into your coaching philosophy in terms of goal setting and those two things that I just Yeah, about. sure.
1: Uh, I think that a scary thing to do is to set a goal based on an outcome. Because whether you fall short or whether you, you know, succeed or whether you exceed that goal, I think that there's this sense of not really being satiated by the outcome. Mm
0: -hmm. We all
1: have that sense of not being satiated by the outcome. I think that was one of the mistakes that I made early on in my career was that I said, okay, by by this age, I want to be able to take a skater to regional championships. And by this age, I want someone at junior national championships. And by by this time, and and every time I got to that point, I felt even less satiated than I thought I would feel. Right. Um, all the way up to, you know, coaching at the Olympic Games. I thought I was going to be able to sit back and go, oh, I made it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm big time now. Um, and actually what it did was put me in the most vulnerable place I've ever been in in my life. To tell you the truth, what happened was I thought, now I'm accountable for that. Now for the rest of my life, if I want to put it on my business card, then I'm an Olympic coach, which I am. I have to be an Olympic coach. Like, I have to act like one. I have to walk like one, talk like one. I have to coach like one. I have to meet people like an Olympic coach. That's a big you know, role to fill. And so it made me a better version of myself, but it definitely made me vulnerable for that moment. So I think that that's one of the things that I learned through my own journey was if we only think about the outcome, number one, we miss all of the steps that it takes to get there. And those steps can be beautiful moments of successes, failures, vulnerabilities. You know, those can be moments of um, growth. They can be moments of shrinkage, right? Where you feel like you're not living up to your capacity, but, but thinking about step by step, what it's going to take to get to that outcome, not only enhances your experience while you're on that journey, but also allows you to stop, take a deep breath and say, look what I have accomplished on the road to that outcome. Mm. So process-based thinking is, um, I think it's more productive. I think that it allows us to really take a step back and take a look at where we are in, in the you know um movement toward yeah exactly toward what our ultimate goal is Um, but it also you know if you're process-based in your thinking you just have more opportunities for um self-awareness you know if you get to the ultimate goal and you don't know how you got there and it's not duplicable yeah and you didn't really enjoy the journey and you have no idea you know what happened in the process i don't think that the victory is going to feel so sweet Mm -hmm. i think it's going to feel great when you stop and really like you know, you lick your wounds sometimes yeah. and you go, this was really hard. hundred percent. And I say that to my athletes all the time. Like the Super Bowl champions aren't standing up there saying, this was a breeze. This was easy. Right, did not right. take anything. They're, they're up there saying, here's what we went through to get mm-hmm. to this point.
0: Yeah. No, something I really liked is that it makes you more self-aware because one thing actually that I heard recently is instead of telling people to, or like preaching to people how to do something, be able to demonstrate it. And the only way you can demonstrate it is if you're aware during the process of how you actually got to a certain point. So it's about being engaged in the process, knowing exactly what you're doing in order to like get to a certain point, not Mm -hmm. uh, to not to an end outcome Mm -hmm. or anything like that. But what I want to ask you is how does that look then when you're coaching kids? Like, how does it look in terms of asking or, you know, coaching them to Set goals based on the process. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like, do you have them write anything down? Oh, take yeah, Or yeah. action steps? What is that? What, what's I'm that I'm like? all
1: about the, the journaling. You know, I'm all about, we have workbooks, basically workbooks that okay. they are, they're responsible for are bringing on the ice every day. And so we've got checklists. We've got worksheets. We've got um, big goals, little goals, short-term, long-term. We've got minute-to-minute goals, daily goals. I've got a mental training game that is element-by-element element goal. So that really, um, I think from a coaching perspective, when when someone says to me, you know, here's my my season goal, then we have to work from the end.
0: Reverse engineering. Right?
1: Yes, we have to, exactly. We have to reverse engineer how we get to that ultimate goal. But if somebody says, you know, hey, I'm not feeling so great today, but I want to still land my jumps. Okay, what can we do in this moment to make you feel as though this was a productive session and you can leave here knowing that you got something done? So I think it really depends on what kind of goal, you know, you're talking about. Um, but, but one of the other fun things about, about goal setting is that it's, it's pliable, right? You mm-hmm. have to be able to adjust for everything that can come up, right? Somebody gets sick for two weeks and they thought they were going to land a new jump in a month. You know, you've got to be able to adjust for that. And I think those life lessons are so key. Um, going through any sport, you learn these things yeah. and you learn that if you're not able to sort of go with the flow and and be able to adjust, uh, you're going to be a really uncomfortable and happy person. So I have this concept that if everybody approached their lives the way an athlete approaches their field of play, you know, if you just go in with that champion mindset, if you go into your cubicle at work every day and you go, okay, here's what I need to knock out today. The way an athlete goes to a practice, I know I'm doing 20 of these and 30 of those and 50 of these and six run throughs. If you go to work that way every day, and you approach it like you have that champion mindset, you're going to be efficient, you're going to be happier, you're going to be more productive, you're going to feel like you got a lot more done, and you'll probably leave work three hours earlier. So I just call that like championing your – like your inner athlete, mm-hmm. as a person who's not an athlete or a former athlete? Okay. How do you champion your inner athlete every day of your life?
0: Yeah. And I think the the life lesson in terms of, you know, setting a goal, but letting it be pliable, being flexible, um, I kind of picked out a, a moment, I guess, in your career when you were making the – going to make the move from Chicago to Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the day before the moving truck came or whatever, the you didn't end up getting the job that yep. you originally thought you were going yep. to. So. I guess let's talk a little bit more about kind of like what that mental process was like of, you know, having this goal, having this plan and having it laid out there and then realizing like, oh, crap, I need to make some sort of shift.
1: It doesn't matter. I mean, for me, you know, I just happen to have this crazy personality where it doesn't matter. I just look at it as, OK, this wasn't meant to be. This wasn't supposed to happen. Now, let me hurry up and like start to Google what other ice ranks are available but, in the area.
0: And but how so- do you think you got that way?
1: Uh, I think it's a combination of nature and nurture. I think, okay. like I said, I was raised by these amazing artists that are just sort of like, you know, Whatever. what's going to happen is going to happen. <laughs> I mean, they were in art school in the sixties, so you can imagine. Um, but at the same time, like they've just allowed me, they allowed me to grow up with the freedom of, of trying to find my passion. And so through finding your passion, there are going to be a lot of disappointments. There are going to be a lot of scary moments, a lot of moments where you feel unstable, you know, like the security's not there. Yeah, I was eight and a half months pregnant when that moving truck was coming and Mm -hmm. I had no place to work. And I had eight students moving with me. I
0: don't know if you got that part of it. I I don't know if I knew eight. I knew there were some.
1: Yeah, students moving with me to Colorado. So all of a sudden it was like not only do we not have an ice rink, but we didn't even know where we're going to end up, you know, living. So – but I I think that that's just – that's one of the things that I – I have to remind myself is that's one of my gifts is being able to just sit back, take a deep breath and go, it's all going to be fine.
0: Yeah. Do you think you know? you are always like that way or maybe just like your education and you've kind of prepped yourself mentally to be that way leading up to that point?
1: I think I've diversified my skill set. I think I've explored my talents. I think I've put together in my own head a portfolio that allows me to say, I'm going to figure this out. Right. I'm going to use creativity. I'm going to use resourcefulness. I'm going to use con- you know, any contacts I have. I'm going to use my vibrant personality, like whatever I can. And I think that that's what we all have to do is just like, what are your gifts? What are the things that you can bring to a situation? Mm-hmm. And really, that's what I did. I called an ice rink guy answered the phone. I heard him shuffling through some papers and I said, Hey, can I use some of your ice? And he's like, Oh, we shut the doors between 8 a.m. and 4 p.m what do you mean you shut the doors? And he's like, "We turn off the lights. We don't have any skaters." And I was like, "Okay, well, you're not going to shut the lights off or shut the doors because we're coming." Yeah. And he's like, "What are you talking about?" You know, oh, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and uh sure enough, that first year I just sort of like bullied my way in, you know? I just feel like wherever there's an opening, I'm just going to wedge myself in, open the door, and if I have to kick it in, I have to kick it in, but yeah. like You have to go out and create opportunities for yourself. They are not going to be created for you. And if they are, that's a lucky break. Mm -hmm.
0: I I am curious because I think a lot of – I think obviously a lot of all of us as individuals is nature in terms of nature versus nurture. But I'm interested. Who do you think has been your biggest mentor throughout your life or biggest person who's taught you the most, whether it's coaching or whether it's just life in general?
1: Oh, My parents, 100%. 100% my parents. Mm -hmm. And then –
0: what do, you think, what do you think the biggest lesson that your mom's taught you is?
1: Um, <laughs> my mom has taught me just to kind of be easygoing. My mom has taught me to just go with the flow. My mom has uh, been able to... Face a lot of kind of adversity and just like deal with it. She told me a story. I got to tell you the story because okay. I didn't even know this. <laughs> she told me a story because I was like, "Mom, you know, I'm doing a lot of homemade gifts for Christmas this year. Like, you know, I'm in the process of a move and the budget's a little tighter than normal." And she's like, "That's okay." She's like, "Do you remember the time that <laughs> we were really living like s- scarcely? Um, my parents are artists, as I said. She said we found a, <laughs> we found a a." Uh, Bunch of rotten apples. <laughs> we found a bunch of rotten apples at a grocery store. Like they were selling them for two dollars a bag. And she's like, we bought them and we took them home and we made applesauce for everybody for Christmas that year. Oh my god. <laughs> and I was like, that's why I'm the way I am. Yeah. I had no like I didn't remember that story, but it it comes full circle for me that I realized, like, my mom wasn't not gonna give Christmas presents. She wasn't gonna not show up with things, she wasn't gonna cry about it. She's like, We're gonna buy these rotting apples and we're gonna make applesauce. And she's like, We turned it into this awesome opportunity to like have a family event, make some applesauce, and then deliver these beautiful jars of applesauce. I'm like, that's my life, you know? Yeah. I can find the rotten apples, I can turn them into something really delicious. So so it's it's a story. No, it's
0: a it's a cool story. What about your dad?
1: Um, so my dad is like a philosopher, you know, okay. he's just kind of this guy that so that's like, where a lot of
0: this comes from. Yeah. He's <laughs> he's
1: like a deep thinker and he's a person that is a little bit... Uh... Yeah, my dad's really cool. Yeah. He's a really cool guy. He's very particular. He's very um, structured, but he's a hippie. He's an artist and he's a free spirited person that doesn't ever play by the rules, you know? So rules in our house were very strict, but rules in life don't exist. Like... Whenever someone tells you you can't, you have to see where you can. Where if someone tells you to turn left, you got to decide if you can turn right. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's just his philosophy is like, don't take things at face value and accept that that's just the way they are. It's okay to like bend the the system. It's okay to change the thing. It's okay to get in there and and be creative and rethink the way things are done. So that's been a huge lesson for me. Mm -hmm.
0: So one thing a little bit we touched on before the interview is kind of being in the proper environment for your own success. So I want you to kind of talk about how you help others be in the proper environment and for their own okay. success. And I don't even know if that's the right way to, to phrase it on my end, but I'm going to I'm yeah, gonna start yeah. there and let you kind of run with it.
1: No, I think it is. I think that that's, you know, as a coach, I look at every athlete individually. And as I said, I sort of have to think of myself as a chameleon, right? Does this athlete need me to turn green right now? Do they need me to turn brown right now? Do they mm-hmm. need me to crawl slowly? Do they need me to run? Like what needs to happen so that in this moment that we're sharing our 20 minutes of time together, um, we can have, we can maximize our time. We can like we said, sort of bring you to your potential in this 20-minute lesson. So I think that um, we can all take a lesson from that. As parents, like, what do I need to do to meet my child where they need to be met? Uh, do I want them to conform to my way or do I want to look at my my child and say, wow, these are the gifts that my kid possesses? I have one daughter who's just like me. She thrives in chaos. I have another daughter that needs to see it laid out in front of her needs to know everything that's going to happen before she feels secure about it. So I find myself even as a mom looking at both of my kids differently and saying, okay, I know that for one, I need to lay it all out. She needs to understand what's coming and she can feel super empowered and super secure. And I know with the other one, if I try to give her too many details, she gets bored, she loses interest and then the whole thing doesn't happen. So even that sort of lesson that I learned as a coach first, and now I can apply to to parenthood, it can be valuable for for. Every uh, situation in life, mm-hmm. right?
0: Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard it necessarily described in that sense of because it's almost like adjusting who, not like adjusting who you are, but giving your showing yourself showing up a little bit differently depending on how that kid or how that student needs you at that at that uh, point in time. Do you feel like that's one of your biggest strengths as Huge a coach? Strength.
1: That's what I do. That's what I do. I think I've learned to be a great technician. I think I've learned to to do everything that it you know takes to get somebody to their potential. But I think the the gift in what I do is allow myself to see where they are and where I need to meet them so that we can get to that place. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and how do you? What are what are some things that allow you to be able to do that?
1: Putting my ego aside, I think that's huge. I think that a lot of people limit themselves because of their ego. Right? They limit themselves in relationships with other people they limit themselves in what they allow themselves to learn from other people what how they allow themselves to grow in an environment because their ego is so in the way of them being able to just sit back and say i gotta put all my insecurities aside so that i can absorb everything possible out of this situation Mm -hmm. right and whether it's your ego uh preventing you from feeling empowered right like your ego is making you feel vulnerable Or, I mean, I'm even thinking of somebody who goes into a a gym to work out for the first time their ego is in the way of them actually getting the work done. Mm -hmm. So instead of worrying about like, how do I get in here and just grind it out? They're thinking, what is everybody thinking of me? And how do I look? And, oh my gosh, put that aside. Yeah. You'll get so much more done in your life.
0: Yeah. Um, So when you say ego, I want you to just touch on a little bit more about exactly what you mean when you say ego and being able to like get that out of the way. Because I think when you say you got to be able to put your ego aside like, and then someone's like, What is what does that actually mean? Well, I
1: think it's everything, right? It's this matrix of like your pride, feeling your dignity, feeling like you have to assert yourself and, you know, be relevant. I think a lot of times we feel like we have to be relevant in a situation where you don't. Maybe sitting back and listening is where you're actually going to empower yourself and be the most um, – powerful version of yourself in a situation, as opposed to I need to be heard, I need to make an impact, I need to make a change. So on one hand, I'm saying I'm going to bust the door down. But on the other hand, I'm saying to you, but I'm not going to do it, you know, just out of my own ego, like I'm not going to bust that door down, because I know I can, I'm going to bust that door down, because I've sat back, I've assessed it, that door needs to be open, there's something behind that door that's going to, you know, benefit these 100 people that are standing behind me in this situation. So so I think, yeah, I think ego is just sort of a combination of what makes us who we are. But mm-hmm. a lot of times it's pride, it's dignity, it's just our, our feeling of needing to be powerful, relevant. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Gotcha. So. Um, so I'm interested. What do you think is the number one thing that you've learned from maybe a particular student uh, or someone that you've coached in general or, or maybe a particular person or just the people, all that you people get you coach in general?
1: Uh, I think the thing that I've learned the most <clears throat> is that we, uh, as as human beings, have fear. You know, and I think that we are so limited by our fear sometimes. And I think that fear uh, demonstrates itself in lots of different ways. Sometimes fear looks like vulnerability. Sometimes fear looks like insecurity. Sometimes fear looks like anger. Sometimes fear looks like, you know, anxiety. And I think that one of the things that I've learned the 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 biggest lesson I've learned is that it's okay for me to assist an athlete in facing their fears. Once you face your fear head on, once you look at your fear in the mirror and you say, okay, I know you're there. I know what you look like. um, You can also say, what's the worst case scenario? If my biggest fear comes true, what's going to happen now? is my family going to stop loving me? Is my coach going to abandon me? Is my support system going to go away? Am I going to lose my job? Is my relationship going to end? Whatever it is, like face what that fear is, accept what the outcome might be, and then decide whether your goal is bigger than your fear. And I think that that's one of the things I've learned the, the most about coaching or through coaching, I should say, is that fear is a part of every equation. And we just have to figure out where to, where it is. Uh, how much of a part it plays and how we can put it in its place. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that last step is probably the step that most people don't really take is kind of putting them next to each other, the goal next to the fear. Like, is the goal actually bigger? Because I think if a lot of people even just like wrote it down on paper or spoke it out loud, they could hear themselves or see that the goal is so much bigger than the fear, right. or the worst case scenario, that they would actually move forward and do it. So I think that that's probably one of the biggest things that maybe you allow people to be able to see when you coach them. Um, Being able to see like the difference that the goal is just so much bigger. So do you think that's how you maybe talk, coach people on how to just go for it? Definitely. In spite of the fear? That's
1: definitely the way that we get it done because you have to be able to say, you know, if you're being paralyzed by your fear, right, you can't get to the goal. No matter what you do, you can't get to the goal because you are in a state of paralysis by analysis, as they say, you know, you're just so worried about what could happen, what might happen. I might fall. I might not place where I want to place. Well, who cares? If you don't go for it, full out with a fear put aside, you won't know because you're being driven by your fear. And we all know that when you're being driven by your fear, you're not in the best place that you could be mentally and emotionally. No
0: doubt. Is there any or how do you pull out fears from from the students or the people that you coach? Because I feel like a lot of times people are probably very (laughs) hesitant in speaking that out loud or writing it down. Yeah.
1: Very hesitant, but I think that it's, you know, it's a combination of building trust, right? So first, if you're going to let your innermost fears out, you need to be able to trust not just yourself to deal with it once you've said it or accepted it or allowed it to come out, but also the person you're talking to, right? So my job as a coach is to instill that trust in my athletes and be able to say, "I I need to, first of all, I can take the burden off of you. You can tell me your fear. I can actually hold on to it for you, right? So that you're free to go do your job unload your fear on me, make me be the scapegoat. If it's easier for me to say to an athlete, hey, if you, if you fail, blame it on me. I've said that to athletes mm-hmm. before, blame it on me. In your mind, if that's what you have to do, just do it. Mm-hmm. My coach was not a great coach. We, we weren't prepared. She didn't prepare me. Sometimes that lifts the burden. And that's a great example of me as a coach putting my ego aside, right? right? I'm allowing you as my athlete to give me the fear, unload it. I'll hold on to it. It's really heavy. It weighs a lot. It's really hard to carry. You can't go out there and be the best version of yourself in your athletic field of play if you're holding on to your fear. So give it to somebody, give it to something. Gotcha. Some people write it down, they burn it, they sh- shred it. They You know, There's right. all kinds of different little ritualistic things you can go through. But I think it's been powerful for me to say, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Right? No,
0: that's cool. And I think a lot of people would, I bet all the yeah, your people that you coach kind of feel burden off their shoulders when yeah. they get that. So I think that's really cool. So we talked about some of your strengths as a coach. Uh is there any particular weaknesses that you've kind of pointed out that you're currently working on that you see as the biggest weakness in your coaching?
1: Yes. The biggest weakness in my coaching. <laughs> you got more I'm... happy
0: that brought I up, brought up weaknesses than the strength.
1: Because remember, I'm all about growth.
0: Oh, no. hundred percent. I'm all too.
1: about growth. I know where I need to get better. I love it. I was
0: glad I was able to visually see that.
1: <laughs> Me do the fist pump. Right. Weakness. Um <laughs> You know, I think the biggest thing that I talk about with my athletes, I'm really open with my athletes' families, is I've struggled with ADD my whole life. Okay. This is something that I've dealt with. And I, I kind of want to be that, like, poster child for you can be successful with something like this that's just there constantly. Um, you probably got a sense of that when we were talking that I'm just a little bit all over the place. <laughs> so, it no, it is. It's, it's one of the things that I... It affects so many things, but for me, it's like how can I be a better communicator? How can I be a little bit more uh, fluid in my conversation? How can I have more continuity in my thought? How can I, you know, communicate with my athletes in a way that they need to be communicated with? So, um,
0: so how do you work on actually being more focused?
1: I mean, it's being cognizant of it mm-hmm. every moment. It's uh, being present. It's being accountable. Um, and it's a challenge. It's a total challenge. I don't know if you know anyone living with ADD, but it's hard. Uh, (laughs) I wouldn't be the coach I am today without it, but I also know that I can be a better version of myself because, you know, I, because I'm trying to put the pieces together and trying to make sure that I manage it.
0: Yeah. So obviously what it's kind of how I started off. Uh, talking about how your approach is, a holistic approach, very, and as everybody can probably tell, a mental, emotional side of it is huge for you. Yeah. If you had to, I know it's not really, this is how it would actually break down in terms of like percentages, but what yeah. do you think, like how important do you think the mental and emotional side of it is next to like the physical and the actual- 99% mm.
1: of everything in life. It's 99% what you think, what you feel, how you approach it. It's Why? like 1% what you're capable of doing. Why? Because just your mindset and and the, the faith you have in yourself and the, the trust you have in your abilities, I mean, that's bigger than your actual abilities. Mm. You know, many people phone it in until they figure it out, right? Yeah. Many people. That whole fake it till you make it thing, that's real. That's really real. Yeah. You... Fake it till you make it if you have the confidence to fake it. But it's the people that don't have the confidence to fake it that will never actually make it. Mm. So many people enter into jobs they're not equipped to enter into, right? You come out of college and you have a degree and you get a job and you're like, I don't have the skill set for this. Yeah. My resume says I do, but I have no idea what I'm doing. You get in there, you throw yourself into the mix, and then you and then you succeed because you're learning through that process. I think the mental and emotional is 99% of, of The equation of being successful in anything in life. Mm -hmm. I just do. You're going to get the skills. You're going to learn what you need to learn. You're going to figure out, you know, how to just, just like we talked about with me, right? I know where my weaknesses are, but I also recognize where my strengths are. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to use those strengths to pull my weaknesses up.
0: That's great. And you, so you've already mentioned a lot of different coaching tactics that you kind of use or practice that you use with the people that you coach. Um, is, has there ever been one skater, for whatever reason you couldn't figure out, or there was just one thing about him that you could not him or her that you could not turn them on to make them either practice harder or do something that you wanted them to do necessarily.
1: Uh, I th- I want to say that through my career I've had shining moments with everyone, mm-hmm. but I also want to say that I'm not the right coach for everyone. Right. So there have been athletes that don't want to approach it from the mental, emotional standpoint. They want to just do it by rote. They want to just be told, do it again, do it again, move your elbow, move your arm, do this. And they just want that, you know, that methodical sort of coaching. Um, and I've had families come to me and say, we don't really need another mom. We don't really need someone, you know, helping to raise our kid. We just want a champion. Okay. And in that situation, I've had to say, I'm not the right person for you, right? Because I'm invested. I, like, I want to make sure we turn out uh, not just a great athlete, but a great person. I want to make sure that when this this athletic journey is over, they're not broken. They're not wounded. They don't have, you know, issues with their identity or their whatever it is. Like, that's really important to me. So when families have said, we're just going to ignore the eating disorder and we're going to make a champion here, mm. I've had to say, no, we're not. Yeah, <laughs> if you can't – you know, if I can't be a part of making that person well, I don't want to be part of it at all. Yeah, so that's, that's been heartbreaking absurd. for me. But other than that, no, it's, it's it's you know, some of the classes that I, that I took in college, my psychology classes that have just inspired me to, like, figure out every problem. That takes me right back to forensics, right? I was involved – interested, like dialed into the forensic thing, I want to be able to look at the, the mystery and be able to solve it. So mm-hmm. that's my goal with every athlete.
0: Cool. That's great. So we talked about uh, your strengths and weaknesses and then kind of how you go about pulling some of the things out of your your kids. And obviously every sing- with every single person you coach, there's probably strengths and weaknesses. So how do you allow the, the, uh, the students and the people that you coach attack their weaknesses in the best way possible?
1: Yeah, sure. I, um, I love to identify weaknesses. I came up with a, an exercise also through my, my mental training program. Um, I call it the threshold exercise because really it was one of those kind of midnight, uh, aha moments that I had where I was thinking, you know, what really uh, is the distinction between people who are successful in this sport and people who aren't as successful in the sport? And, and really what I came up with is that the people that are more successful have a higher threshold for a lot of different things. And I came up with a, a list, a checklist of about 30 things that I think that those more successful athletes have a higher threshold for, including they have a higher threshold for pain. They have a higher threshold for vulnerability, for accepting criticism. They have a higher threshold for handling change. Um, they have a higher threshold for fear. Dealing with fear, and the people that aren't as successful have a lower threshold for those things. So I came up with an exercise where you know I list those thirty things, and then I have my athletes sort of um, grade themselves, you know where where's your threshold for change between one and ten? Where's your threshold for criticism? And it's interesting because they they're all over the map, like, I'm a five. I can't accept this or, you know, I'm a, I'm a one. I hate it when people criticize me or I hate to feel like I'm, you know, um, vulnerable. And so then we take a look at where their highest thresholds are. Maybe they have a really high threshold for pain. And so then we'll, we'll talk about what the mechanism is that they use for dealing with pain. So some of the mechanisms would be I ignore it, you know, so if I feel physical pain, I just, I ignore it. I choose mm-hmm. to ignore it. So how can you take that mechanism and how can you apply it to where you have a very low threshold for something? So can you learn to ignore feeling vulnerable? So it's it's been a really powerful exercise for a lot of athletes. Um, I'd like to write a book about it because yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a really powerful concept Definitely. that was, like I said, kind of one of my aha moments. But, but I think that that's been one of the really greatest exercises for people really recognizing like... Oh, if my capacity for this particular thing were greater, look how much more productive I would be.
0: Mm-hmm. Or
1: look how I'd be able to put my fear aside, sort of like what we were talking about before. And so um, yeah, it's just that understanding your threshold for different things that are holding you back. Yeah.
0: Have you applied the threshold practice in your own life for anything in particular? That very you can much think so. Of?
1: Yeah, very much so. I've done my checklist several times. Um it's you know, you have to like I said, you have to be able to be um, constantly working on it. It's not something that's going to change overnight. You can't say, "Oh well, tomorrow I'm not going to feel you know pain." No, it's you have to consciously say, "I feel pain. How do I handle it? What's the mechanism I need to put into place so that that pain doesn't stop me or or slow me down?" And so, you know, change obviously takes takes work. It takes discipline. It takes uh, tenacity. You have mm-hmm. to be able to want to change. And so that's another big part of uh, the equation is if you don't want to actually change, first of all, you should just say that to yourself. Like, I really don't want to get better in this area um, because facing sort of facing where you actually want to make a change is a big part of whether you're going to make that change or not.
0: Yeah, no, I'm sure. Um, so we've talked about um, kind of weaknesses and, and things, uh, challenges and stuff like that. So when people face... Obstacles, or you know, walls to run through, if you will, um, during their practices. How do you kind of coach yeah. them through those kinds of things?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm always saying that any sense of failure, any sense of obstacle, is just a learning opportunity. And um, when when I was looking at the word obstacle, you sent me an email that said, "Let's talk about obstacles." It's the first time I thought to myself. Well, an obstacle, the only place I've ever heard the word obstacle is obstacle course, right? We're going to do this obstacle course. That sounds really fun. It sounds really cool. It sounds like an adult jungle gym. Um, but the concept of an obstacle course, whether it's dog in training or human doing something for fun or challenge, the concept of the obstacle course is that you are going to become more agile. You're going to exercise your mind and your body through that obstacle course. You're going to problem solve um, you're going to have to be uh, be able to be flexible. You're going to have to be able to make on the spot decisions. Yeah. And so that obstacle course really is just a, an opportunity for growth and learning. So obstacles aren't actually things that you can't get over, around, under, through. Uh, you know, they're just they're things that are placed in front of you to prove to you that you have more learning to
0: yeah. do. Yeah. No, I think that's great because I <laughs> I think I have the same thought process as you in terms of i the only ter- time I've ever heard obstacle is obstacle course or like in motivational talks and yeah. stuff and stuff like that so it's a really interesting way to look at it. I'm glad I was able to provide yeah, that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> That's smart. <laughs> thank smart you. Like for you, that. so I'll take credit for some of that. I like that. Um well, I always ask the last, same last couple of questions um to end things off. So uh, I always throw out the age number for the first one. Yeah. Uh, how, how old are you right now? 45. 45? Okay, yeah. gotcha. So in 10 years down the road, you're going to yeah. be 55. Oh, um, and dang. obviously you have... <laughs> right? Dang. A lot of a lot of people do that. It's okay. It's okay. Um, um. But so obviously you have goals, processes that you're trying to put into place, things that you want to do, things that you want to create, things that you want to accomplish. Put yourself into 55-year-old Corey's shoes. What have you done? What have you accomplished and what are you currently doing?
1: Yeah, I think the most important thing that I can do is raise two uh, two independent daughters that are going to be productive members of society, that are going to contribute, that are going to be awesome young women. So that's my number one goal is to just kick some butt as a mom. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the next thing is we're... Here in Nashville, implementing a program that took uh, about 18 months to write, and it's a uh, it's an awesome new concept in figure skating, and we hope that it's going to take off for many youth sports um, because it provides a certain transparency between coach, athlete, and parent, and uh, I think that's lacking in youth sports right now. So the most exciting thing right now on my plate is that we are creating a platform so that. Athletes, coaches, and parents can communicate in a way that has integrity so that, um, coaches can't mislead families and, you know, tell athletes they have more potential than they have so that they really are always in an honest conversation with themselves about their, um, their potential as athletes, high end and low end. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that it's our job as, uh, mentors to help athletes figure out what their perfect path is, um, to be able to figure out where their strengths lie and what they should be focused on. I think it's really sad when athletes are, are led down a path that sort of has a dead end or isn't going to amount to what they thought it was going to amount to where they could have shifted their focus and been much more successful. So I'm excited about this platform. It's called Sharp. It's, um, specialized high aptitude resource program. Um, and so in that way, I think this program is going to be huge. I'm excited about that, the growth of that and changing the culture of of youth sports in that way. So, yeah, I think that's where I'd like to be in 10 years. I'd like to impact a lot more people than the fishbowl of the ice rink. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, very cool. That's that's awesome. Well, before I ask the last question, I want to acknowledge you for basically a lot of different things, but the self-confidence that you have, whether it's from nature or nurture, who knows, probably, like you said, a combination of both, but being able to – like seek after your weaknesses and seek after the things that challenge you the different obstacles and overcome them and to be able to take this holistic approach to to a sport because I think a lot of I think a lot of coaches simply want like what maybe some parents want like I just want to champion like ignore the eating disorder but you have the the integrity to be like no wait like I don't want to be a part of something that's avoiding who the actual person is, it is at a human being because at the end of the day skating will end for for everybody at some point in time and right. the human that they are is that much more important so I want to acknowledge you for taking it that next step Thank outside you. of the, the ice and outside of the rink which is really cool um, so the last question I always ask everybody yeah. is um, becoming the best version of yourself to me is a constant journey and I don't think we're ever necessarily at that best version of ourselves we always need to be chasing it down uh, but I think it's also different for every single person everybody needs to kind of magnify in their own magnify their own uniqueness um, and things of that nature. So what I want to ask for you personally is if you could currently do or work on three things to become closer to the best version of yourself, what are those three things that you could do or three things that you could work on?
1: Oh, for sure. Um, If I had time or could create time, I would be a student. I would take some more classes. I would continue to educate myself. Um, I would love to pursue, you know, another degree at some point in my life. I'm really interested in, um, you know, more sports psychology. I'm really interested in uh, biomechanics, just continuing my education. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, constantly be in in school if I could. And then um, I think just challenging myself to do something that's physically difficult for me. So um, I would love to, you know, do a triathlon. I would love to do something that's difficult for me, put myself in an uncomfortable position. Um, uh, and then I think that I would spend a little bit more time on me. So if I could create 24 more hours in each day, I'd go to school, I'd run, bike and swim. And then I would like meditate or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'd not- meditate and get a massage.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Take all- care of me. <laughs> well, I think that's a one big thing that a lot of people don't really realize and they neglect themselves and sometimes give too much to others. So it's, it's good that you at least, um, you know, pointing that out in yourself. Um, Well, those are some three great great things. That's all we got. I appreciate you coming in. Thank you so much. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now it's time to act. Leave a like and a comment on YouTube. Subscribe to that page. If you're on iTunes, leave it a five-star review. Help the show move up the ranks so more and more people can get access to it. Feel free to take a screenshot of this episode and let me know you're listening on Instagram. I wish I could have had another couple of hours speaking with Corey. Everything that she talked about today are things that I'm trying to learn. They're things that I want to help people with. This is why I do the podcast to learn as much as I can from amazing people and to spread the word to all of you guys so that you can have access to it and then implement it into your own lives. Obstacles are just an opportunity for growth and to get better. Set goals based on the process, not on the outcome, because when we strive for a specific outcome, we won't be left feeling satiated. We must be engaged and aware during the process. I hope you heard something today that inspires you or equips you to grow better today than you were yesterday. Thanks so much for listening. Keep taking consistent action every single day. Now it's time to go out and upgrade yourself today to get closer and closer to your best you.